0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Stan Tatkin. Stan is a clinical psychologist, licensed marriage and family therapist, and an author who integrates neuroscience, attachment theory, and arousal regulation in a method he's developed called PACT, a psychobiological approach to couple therapy. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Stan and I spoke about his new book, called We Do, saying yes to a relationship of depth, true connection, and enduring love. We talked about his definition of a couple as a biological survival unit and what threatens the success of that survival unit, including something very common that he calls the mismanagement of thirds. We talked about how one of our marriage vows should be I vow to take you on as my burden. And how important it is to accept your partner as is, completely and wholeheartedly. We talked about how couples undermine what Stan calls secure functioning in a relationship. And the key lessons a new couple needs to learn to say not just I do, but we do. Here's my conversation with Stan Tatkin. Stan, I'm really happy to have this chance to talk to you on Insights at the Edge. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new about intimate relationships. So thank you for making the time
1: for this. Thank you, Sammy.
0: I want to profile some of the aspects of your work helping couples build deeper, more loving and intimate relationships. Some of the aspects that I think are unique. You call your approach psychobiological. It's a Psychobiological Approach to Couple Therapy, and that stands for PACT, P-A-C-T. And I want to begin by having you talk a little bit about this biological aspect of psychobiological. What's the biological lens that you use when you're looking at relationships and intimacy?
1: We're looking at a developmental model, or actually several developmental models that include developmental psychology and the developing brain starting with the infant and on through adulthood so we're we're looking at the the uh, how the brain develops in particular the areas that are specialized for social emotional intelligence and we're looking at how the brain is networked, both horizontally, uh, you know, that's between left and right hemispheres, and vertically into the body, and that includes one's physiology, as well as the neuroendocrine system. This is, uh, you know, looking at the hypothalamus and uh, and uh, uh, the uh, neurotransmitters and hormones that get pumped into the body, all of this being driven by genetics, by constitution, by environment, and the environment that we, in particular, look at psychologically and biologically is the attachment system, and this is a biological model of safety and security from the viewpoint of the infant. And then, of course, throughout the lifespan from the viewpoint of the individual safety and security in terms of dependency on primary figures. In the beginning, of course, it's the original caregivers and then it's teachers and ministers and rabbis and and so on and lovers. And this uh, goes on through life, a very fluid system, but it is uh, like building blocks. It's built on a foundation that is uh, a part of the first 18 months of life. So when we say, you know, psychobiology, we're studying the brain and the body, um, looking at how people are able to interact with each other in a very fast, very effective way that allows them to know what they're feeling and uh, understand their own somatic cues, their own interoceptive cues, as well as to be able to read other people, their faces, their bodies, their voice, uh, and their meaning, and at the same time, be able to regulate themselves so as to get along with the largest number of people um, possible, and uh, to be resilient, right? So when we think of people who are securely attached from infancy they tend to uh, get along better with people. They tend to be less aggressive. They tend to be uh, more inventive and creative and resourceful when it comes to interactions and brokering, uh, you, know, uh, you know, winning situations between uh, others. And th- this doesn't necessarily mean that they're, uh, they have a high education, but they are well-equipped to deal with very uh, difficult situations um, and are able to rebound uh, very well when they're frustrated or impeded in some manner in, in terms of what they're trying to achieve. And I think, importantly, um, secures uh, are much more able to achieve higher complexity uh, and are, aren't slowed down by the vicissitudes of life and their own um you know their own um, challenges uh, with having to adapt to those vicissitudes. The more insecure we are, the more trauma we have, the more energy we have to put into adaptation, which um, which causes a lot of wear and tear on the brain and the body, and also um, makes life just a little bit more difficult depending on how uh, how much of a burden. Um, we have to carry.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Stan, you're talking about attachment styles as. Yes. And you're talking about the benefits of people being in adult relationships who had secure attachment during their That's first right. 18 months. But what about all the rest of us? For all of us who <laughs> didn't have secure attachment, in your work, you call such people, the insecure attachment people, either avoidant or ambivalent in relationship. Quite honestly, in my adult life, within the circle of friends, I know people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, I don't know that many people who would be, quote unquote, secures. Most of the people I know seem to identify more as avoidant and ambivalent. So what about us?
1: Well, you know, it it, it does seem sometimes when we talk about secures that they're unicorns. Um, That they don't really exist but uh, truth uh, be known that the idea of uh, secure is uh, doesn't mean that we don't have qualities that are insecure that we don't have qualities that are like the distancing uh, group or the people who tend to cling a lot in other words people who are afraid of abandonment or people who are afraid of engulfment so uh, being secure um, it doesn't mean we're free of all of that completely it just means that we're not overly encumbered by either those fears and concerns when it comes to depending on others So one might think that they're insecure, avoidant, or insecure, ambivalent, but they're actually secure and they're ishy on one side or the other, or they're pushed dynamically into one side or other, depending on the relationship they're in. Um, They could be with somebody who is very distancing, and that could bring out the clinging in that person, or somebody who's very clingy, and that could bring out the distancing in that person. It doesn't mean that... The, that That their internal working model, is, uh, as as uh, Bul- John Bowlby would say, um is fixed like a structure, and that they're uh, that they're one-trick ponies. So uh, that has to be established. Uh, you know we're We're identifying with very common um, uh, reactions that all people have towards intimacy dependency interdependency and so that's why we all identify with them Um, that doesn't mean we are that right so for the rest of us we're adaptive creatures if nothing else we had always adapt to the environment we're born into and we're continually adapting and changing and all of our relationships are modifying these ideas uh, that uh, uh, implicit and, and explicit ideas that we have about dependency um, we're, you know, hurt by people. We're healed by people. So, you know, the, the game isn't over, not nearly. Um, we're constantly m- moving and shifting from, uh, you know, from security to insecurity and vice versa, depending on our situation, our our development, our age, you know, uh, you know every period of development has uh, uh, different challenges. And as we Do get brain upgrades. Those notably early in life. Brain upgrades every time we do. We're stressed again, and depressed and anxious because we see more and understand more, and we wish we could go back. Um, We may revert to uh, uh, insecure patterns, Um, and uh, and that just I think is part of the uh, the game as we move through life and relationships.
0: Okay, so understanding our attachment style and the attachment style, even though it's changing, understanding what's happening in a context is part of the PACT approach. But some of what I think is really unusual in PACT is, I think of this as kind of a biological perspective, is that you call a couple a survival unit. Me and my partner, we're a survival unit so that we can thrive and survive in the world. And I guess I think of that as biological because there's this biological drive to survive. And as I was telling my wife, you know, we're a survival unit, she said, do you mean we're trying to survive each other? And I was was like, that's a good joke. No, we're, we're surviving all the threats out there in the world. So talk to me a bit about what makes a couple a good and successful survival unit.
1: I think it's understanding that together you're better off uh, if you both see it the same way if you're both working uh, toward the same vision uh, then you would be on your own this is a you know this is very mammalian in that sense that we pair bond uh, not only to protect offspring but to protect each other from the predators that are out there and and like I said the, you know, the, the, the constant onslaught of unpredictable happenings that, uh, that we have to endure throughout life. And that uh, together we're stronger. We provide each other cover. Uh, we, uh, you know, in, in the sense of, this sounds like a very warlike uh, example. Um, there are other examples people could, could come up with very easily. But being in the foxhole together, you know, you have each other's backs. You, uh, you know each other very, very well. You move uh, together like, uh, you know, uh, switching metaphors now to uh, one of those potato sack race, races in a picnic, you know, where a three-legged race, um, you're, you're so well-coordinated and you work so cooperatively and collaboratively that you can move together, um, you know, and be very nimble as opposed to people who don't and they can't go anywhere. They will fall because one person wants to go this direction, one person wants to go that direction, or wants to go faster than the other person. That doesn't work. So we're talking about a system that is based, again, on safety and security that, foundationally, you and I, um, regardless of things that change through time, our appearance, um, our interests, our, um, you know, picadillos, all these things that can change through time. One thing that doesn't change is our agreement to support each other, to move together. And uh, and that creates a sense, hopefully, of, of absolute safety and security so that you and I feel like what true home is, that it's not a place it's our relationship, it's our orbit, and everywhere we go, we feel protected, we feel safe and secure. Um, if one of us feels hurt, uh, injured, uh, the other licks uh, uh, our wounds, right? Um, if uh, one person feels that their, uh, their confidence is dropping, the other person lifts them up. Um, uh, the, the two work together uh, not as isolates, because that would be a folly ado, but work together within that orbit and then have concentric circles of, of social support, um, uh, single friends, uh, couple friends, family, and so on, um, that's around them that uh, that has, there's a two-way influence, right? The couple uh, influences uh, the larger group. The larger group also influences the couple. But hopefully we have a healthy system here that uh, that thinks in terms of secure functioning and that means that people are operating according to principles of fairness justice and mutual sensitivity so when you have a, a secure functioning relationship there's a an ease a breathing i feel comfortable i can relax with you i feel safe with you no matter where we go I trust you with my life. You trust me with your life. We understand we're perfectly imperfect. We understand we're different people with different minds and different motives and interests at any given time, moods, different histories. But we agree on, uh, on working together. And the benefits uh, of that are, are tremendous because we don't live in a world where we have a constant uh, our parents, perhaps, but then they get old. Um, maybe they weren't ever that, or they've passed away, and our children aren't supposed to be used for that. they they have their own lives, but the couple can be our partners can be a constant for each other, and that's a kind of experience and a kind of love that is very very different from the infatuation and the romantic love that we feel when we first start out. Um, I will see people from um, from all walks of life. And I think the best example uh, examples are people on the street. Um, couples that uh, that live on the street that some are and many are mentally ill, um, but they are a survival unit and I've watched them in action. And they do in fact cover each other. They do protect each other. Um, and uh, it, it's quite something to see. Um, you know, that this is a natural thing that that people will do when they uh, when they're in an environment that is hostile. Um, most of us are not in that environment and so we're not aware of the dangers around us and the pressures uh, around us for us to to uh, have solidarity, right? Um, but people who are, in dangerous situations, like uh, uh, police officers, uh, uh, people in the military, people in other countries—you know, where uh, the world is very dangerous—there um, is a, a fealty, um, a radical loyalty that uh, you can see that is there, uh, and very much their survival units. Um, so that's what is meant. Uh, long way to, to explain this, but that's what is meant by a survival couple: is that at the very basis. All we really have is uh, the ability to trust each other completely and that we are going to make each other feel absolutely safe and secure within this couple bubble.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there are some actions that are very glaring that would disturb a sense of safety and security for a survival unit. You know, the glaring instances of having an affair or outright lying to your partner. It's hard to feel trusting, safe, and secure. But what are some of the more subtle things that can disrupt safety and security in a couple?
1: Well, an example might be not protecting each other in public. So one partner exposes the other partner without their permission in public and humiliates them, embarrasses them. Um, This is a a, a kind of betrayal. And it's uh, something we call a mismanagement of thirds. Uh, in the dyadic world, there are thirds, other people, things, activities, uh, uh, habituations, and so on, uh, that uh, that will draw one person's preoccupation, attention, and so on, at the cost of the relationship. And that could be a child, it could be a job, a boss, it could be an ex, it could be uh, a parent. And um, the problem with that is the... Uh, if this is to be seen a, a, as a primary attachment system, it doesn't suffer, um, you know, very well. Others th- other things coming in and relegating the other partner to third will or, you know, demotion and or taking resources away from them. So these are errors that, uh, that uh, in the area of mismanagement of thirds where people can misstep by um, throwing the other person under the bus. So this would be embarrassing the person in public or leaking information that the partner didn't want known or uh, taking uh, someone from the outside uh, their side um, over the partner, um, aligning with a child against the partner, um, you know, any number of situations where there's a, uh, a breach in that primary attachment system and a misunderstanding of the primary unit. Uh, Now, this seems to be the case even in polyamorous uh, societies, cultures, and and polygamous um, societies, that uh, there is always uh, a primary, even in that group, uh, between uh, one person and another. And that person, even from childhood, is the person that we tend to run to when we're in most distress um, or the person we first contact when we want to celebrate something. That's usually the primary. And so even in, in uh, say, Africa, where we've traveled, the uh, most of the tribes are still polygamous. There's only one that has uh, changed. And uh, when you look at the huts, you see that the, the, the primaries have the largest huts, and then the other women have smaller huts. And so uh, I, I would say the, 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 the most... Um, uh, misunderstood and uh, sort of silent killer of relationships is the mismanagement of thirds uh, as a a betrayal Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, people will do without thinking about it. Stan, let's get into that
0: a little deeper because I think it's really important. Let's say somebody feels a great loyalty to their own mother or father And now they're in a relationship, and the new partner says, you know, I don't want to go visit your mother or father, or I can't stand your mother or father, you know, a basic in-law issue. And the person says, look, you know, I feel loyal to my own parent here. You know, uh, of course, I, I need to put them first. What would be the packed way to strengthen the safety and security of my relationship, but I also need to honor this bond I have with my parent?
1: I think that the the important idea here uh, when we think of putting our couple relationship first, let me just uh, zoom out for a moment if I may, um, take the long view. Um, The the important idea here of putting the couple relationship first is not to say that all other relationships are are less important. is isn't to say that all other relationships will then have to uh, suffer the consequences. All it means is that uh, when we decide to put our relationship first, it gives us um, a hierarchy um, from which to govern. And not just each other, but everybody else. So if two people really understand that they're working together in a fair and just way that's mutually sensitive, cooperative, and collaborative, then the partner who has an ailing parent or a parent who needs them uh, simply invokes to their partner, remember, this is what we do. We support each other. Um, I support you when uh, you have somebody that's, or something that's uh, very important, and I am there for you um, as you are there for me um this is what we do we don't ask each other to give up things that would make us unhappy the rest of our lives that that undermines the whole idea of this union um we're here to uh to go out of our way as burdens because people are burdensome we go out of our way to do these things for each other um because uh that is our agreement um, that's the quid pro quo. I do that for you. You do that for me. And so there is a, there's a constant, uh, back and forth and bargaining, um, persuading, uh, negotiating, not compromising, negotiating, um, in a way that, uh, that is good for me and good for you. So the other person, um, Uh, has a responsibility of accommodating their partner because they're going to have a turn also uh, where they're going to want or need uh, to uh, take care of something or someone else and that other partner is going to be there to support them. Right. So, uh, so this is uh, a misunderstanding, I think. Um, Now, again, there is, Uh, a a reasonable thing here that uh, maybe you as the partner doesn't like my mother and doesn't want to go, and uh, that could be fine um, as long as we come up with some agreement that works out for both of us. Both of us are okay with this, and that may take some bargaining, right? Um, but also I could creatively come up with a way to get you to come. I could I could say, okay, well, you know what? I understand you don't want to do this and you don't like my mother. Um, I struggle with her too. And, uh, but how about if we do this? How about if I, um, if I make it worth your while in some way to do this? And I offer you something that, uh, that makes it possible uh, for you to join me without looking back and being resentful. Because in secure functioning, we always want to move in real time together, and not uh, not you know uh, accrue a debt, right? We don't want to uh, constantly do something that's going to uh, that we're going to have to pay for later. So we you know we do this uh, together, and we try to find a win-win situation and. When two people know that they have to do something like this, they get very creative. It's the, the problem is that we live in a, in a culture where we don't think we should do that, and so we'll take the easy way out. And the easy way out is either I bully you into doing this, I guilt you, I shame you into doing this, I threaten you, which is always uh, not, is, is a bad idea. Uh, instead of find a way to, to attract you, um, or uh, we decide to just go our own way. All right, you know, you don't want to go to this. you go you do this, I'll do this. And then uh, if we uh, I think th- this is a sort of a lazy way out, um, it's still fine, but it could also be a lazy way out. Um, we could get accustomed to this solution. and then we start to drift. We start to do a lot of things um, that are, uh, you know, uh, our own thing, and we start to lead parallel lives. The, I think the realistic thing here is that when you're with another person, you accept the fact that they're a pain in the ass, that they're a burden, um, and as you are as well, and that uh, that you have to work together uh, in order to make things right. Um, this goes back to insecure models. If we come from an insecure model in a family where we had to uh, pay uh, you know, in a, in a way that was unfair, uh, constantly unfair, constantly unjust or insensitive. We kind of go through life thinking the same thing. You know, I shy away from anything where there's dependency because I know I will get taken advantage of. I will be uh, co-opted, uh, exploited, used. I will be abandoned. I'll be rejected, punished. And uh, because of this, I'm not going in with an idea of bargaining, of uh collaborating i'm going in with an idea of having to uh, protect my interests because i remember what that's like and it won't occur to me to uh to broker win-win situations it'll occur to me only to protect my interests and then of course uh, that'll force my partner to do the same so uh, a lot of this has to do with attitude and uh and a, a kind of complexity of understanding how two-person psychological systems operate. Um, You either know that from the beginning because you were raised that way or you have to learn it um, the hard way Um, or you are in a system that enforces it and makes you do it regardless of whether you want to or not.
0: Now, Stan, you talked about how people are burdensome and it's not just other people but that you know everybody we're burdensome too you and everybody. me of course yeah and your new book with sounds true is called we do and Here, a couple is thinking of getting married. We do. And I've heard you talk about how one of our vows could be, I vow to accept you as my burden. And I think, well, that's not really how most people go into it when they look at getting married. I've never heard anybody actually say that in a marriage ceremony. What would it mean to, right from the beginning, accept that your partner is going to be your
1: burden and you're going to be theirs? I think what it means is that we're going to see each other realistically, uh, not idealistically, as perfectly imperfect, uh, uh, human primates. Uh, uh, you know, th- let's just take personality out of this. Let's take the individual out of this. The the human primate by nature is warlike, um, is uh, uh, is uh, leans more towards uh, negativism than positivism, is um, xenophobic by nature, is selfish and self-centered by nature, is always aware of what is missing and uh, it does not have by nature, is moody and uh, and uh, uh, impulsive at times by nature, and is really easily influenced by a group by nature. That in itself makes us difficult creatures. Add to that uh, a uh, an imperfect brain that is basically uh, built ad built ad hoc, as most things uh, uh, are in terms of evolution. And there are all these errors that we make um, uh, socially, emotionally, mostly because, of uh, of different systems operating at all times. Particularly uh, troublesome is the very fast recognition system, subcortical system, that is always operating by memory and memory alone. And then you have uh, people moving about and doing things automatically, reflexively, without thinking. That could cause a, a great deal of trouble in all relationships, but in particular in love relationships. Um, so, and then we have histories. You know, we're, we're uh, mammals that uh, that remember things in ways that other mammals don't. Um, we imagine things in ways that other mammals don't. We create mythologies uh, that, uh, that other mammals don't. Um, we see things and imagine things that aren't there uh, in a way that other mammals don't. So we're difficult creatures. Let's just put it that way. Um, we don't get along well uh, uh, unless we have shared mythologies, unless we have to cooperate together in order to survive, usually. Against some outside, uh, uh, you know, threat. Right. So let's just start with that. Um, but then you have per- personalities and people from different cultures and expectations, and uh, you know, and trauma histories and uh, and, uh, and and beliefs and so on. So uh, yeah, I'm taking you on as as a burden, which includes your history. That means that uh, if you have Uh, bad experiences that you are still healing from or wounds uh, scars uh, from childhood and from adulthood I am responsible for that in the sense that I'm the only person here to mollify soothe heal uh you know protect um there is nobody else but me and so that's the same with you that's where you know uh uh, I've, you know, written about being experts on each other. You know, I'm a Tammy whisperer. Um, it adds to that sense of safety and security. We're, uh, we're more resilient uh, uh, in that we're good caregivers of each other. We're good managers of each other. We're good parents of each other before we even think of uh, parenting a child. Um, th- that just makes us more robust. That makes us more powerful, And so, uh, yeah, starting off with the idea that uh, that we're going to be each other's burdens and the uh, and the payoff of that is going to be great. I'm going to put all my money on you. You're going to put all your money on me. Um, We're investments for each other. And um, and this, I think, puts everything in perspective, um, uh, because we do get so disappointed when we find out our per- uh, our person is difficult, right? Uh, you know, the younger we are, the more idealistic we are, uh, the dumber we are, and the less prepared we are for, you know, uh, for uh, people being messy creatures and, uh, like I said, uh, impulsive, selfish, self-centered, and, uh, you know, given to do whatever we want if we can get away with it. So, uh, it's it's a worthwhile project. Um, and, and my gosh, I mean, we only have to deal with each other. It's not like we're trying to arrange a group, you know, or a society or, you know, uh, a country. Um, this is the smallest unit of a society. It's just two people. Uh, master that, and then you can start to build a community. Then you can start to build a family. Um, but we don't think that way. We don't have... Uh, we don't have an education system that teaches us how to be in a relationship. Um, and so, uh, so there you go. I mean, uh, uh, it's not a, uh, a negative thing. I take you as my burden. Um, it's, uh, wow, we're going to do things. You and I, Tammy, are going to do things for each other that nobody, nobody wants to do unless they get paid a, a lot of money. And so this is an expensive unit.
0: Now, Stan, this idea of I take you as my burden and I kind of hope you'll grow and change in these ways, that's kind of what's going on inside me. And I pulled this quote from your book, We Do. If you don't or can't accept your partner as they are right now without cherry picking the parts you like, you're in trouble already. Marriage and commitment can only work if we accept each other wholeheartedly." And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know, I think that's a little mythic. Don't we all harbor these ideas that, you know, yeah, I accept you and I really hope this is going to change about you. Come on.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a real good way to be very disappointed and angry. Um, you know, uh, uh, Tracy, my love, uh, it does some really annoying things. I mean, some things that would just make me just, just crazy. And, and I know I do the same thing with her. Um, when I was younger, that might've been a deal breaker. That might've been something that I would just eventually just say, you know what? No, I, I can't deal with that. And then, and then, uh, you know, break up with her and then find somebody else and go through the same thing, um, in some other way, uh, and the the idea that uh, that i'm uh, I'm going to change my partner um, is uh, is naive. Uh, people don't change um, People don't really change if you've ever been to your high school reunion, you kind of know that um uh, we, 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 change little things. Uh, we grow and develop like everybody uh, grows and develops. And so in that sense, yeah, we do change with the times and, and with our brain development. Um, but our core self, uh, what we do, um, you know, to soothe ourselves, uh, doesn't really change a, a lot through time, but if it does change, if it will change, it will change, um, under the the uh, umbrella of secure functioning, because if I am forcing you, or if I am still complaining about certain things about you that are I'm talking about them as if they're deal breakers, as if I can't deal with them, then um, uh, you become under resourced. Um, we become under-resourced. All of our resources are now being used uh, uh, because of this distress and this, uh, this infatuation with getting you to uh, stop drinking or to get you to stop doing this or that, uh, that uh, there is no development. That is actually how development stalls in childhood. Development stalls in childhood when the child is low-resourced that means that the parents are putting uh, uh the environment is too stressful for the child to actually develop normally and therefore uh uh uh, uh resources are being poured into other areas of adaptation that slow or stall development um You don't want to do that in your adult life. Um, you, you know you want to be create a milieu, an environment that allows you to grow, not because you have to at the end of a point of a gun, but because you have the ability now to do it. you you're resourced, you're free, you're supported. Now I, I know that sounds idealistic, but it's actually achievable. And so um, I, this this notion of um, you know, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to change you is folly it has never ever worked ever it will never work um, uh, uh, when people uh get better they're in a secure environment secure bubble right um, that is when people uh, people move towards complexity we know that complexity stops um, when there is trauma when there is loss when there is uh too much uh stress chronic stress um, we stop moving towards complexity. We retreat towards simplicity and what we know. We avoid novelty. And that's, the, that, that's not a growth situation. So when I say you have to accept a person as is, as a fundamental tenet of secure functioning, what that means is that if you have picked this person a, um, as being good enough, and this is important, uh, in this world, good enough is perfect. Um, you're good enough, then, um, then that allows us to do things from that point forward instead of my still hesitating one foot in, one foot out, which puts uh, a lot of threat into the system. It's very pernicious. And I can be sure that that thing that I want change is going to amplify. So um, two years down the line, Tammy, you and I, and I still won't commit to you because of this one thing that I don't like, And if that one thing changes, then I'll think about it. I'll I'll go all in, but not until then. That will never happen. And not only that, my stalling and getting you to continue to audition for the gig is going to inadvertently amplify that negative trait that I say that I want you to change. It's stupid. It, um, it, It cannot work. And so we do have to accept the other person as is, put all our money on them, or look elsewhere. That's all I'm saying. If by the end of a year or a year and a half, which is, is what uh, usually re- is required to really get to know somebody enough to make a decision, um, then move right along. Pass. Go to somebody else. Okay,
0: so what if I say, you know, I'm kind of pretending to accept the other person <laughs> as is. I'll tolerate it, but I really don't actually just, I just don't like it, but I'll tolerate the other person as
1: is. Is that good enough? Well, it's going to cause some uh, suffering for the person who's tolerating it and hiding this, uh, and it's going to come out in a, in a number of ways that are going to be unpredictable uh, in the other person. Uh, the other person's going to behave badly because of this. So uh, here we're talking about an attitude change inside. Let, let's go away from attachment to uh, an object relations model, which is, I think, apropos here. The self- Uh, My sense of self and my sense of other are always uh, operating in tandem uh, uh, all the time um how i feel about you reflects on how i feel about me so you're obnoxious every time we go out you are obnoxious you stay you say jokes that embarrass me i really hate it no matter how much i tell you you know uh, that's you that's tammy who goes out and makes obnoxious jokes uh, that are uh, obnoxious to me um if I, uh, if I continue to, uh, uh, and I've decided to be with you, if I continue to uh, get upset about that, um, and that is uh, who you are, um, um, the question is whether I am accepting of me because I chose you, see? I chose you, and uh, you, you are my partner. Uh, my inability to love you even though you're different from me, even though you're doing something I wouldn't do. And I'm not talking about betrayal. I'm not talking about throwing me under the bus. I'm not talking about mismanagement of thirds. I'm talking about some uh, aspect of your personality or things that you do that uh, really bother me. Um, if I can't say, that's my Tammy, you know, uh, I, want to, I, I love her to death, I want to punch her face. Um, uh, if I can't embrace that, there is some also aspect of me that I have not grown, uh, that is not fully developed, that is not grown up, that has not um, uh, become uh, more compassionate, more of a human being. Um, so we're talking about the challenge here. That's not really about you. It's really about me. It's about, can I accept this different person, this different animal who's doing these things that rubbed me the wrong way? Not, not everything because of, then the question is, why did I choose you? But, uh, but there's some things. Then there's something uh, about my own development here that I have to look at, that uh, that I cannot embrace someone who's different, someone who's not, not me, uh, and uh, recognize that I do love this person uh, and that I can accept uh, wholly. Perhaps that will influence uh, my ability to be obnoxious, um, Right, so a lot of this has to do with the self it's not so much the other person we will focus on the other person because they'll they'll reflect certain things about ourselves and other people that that we have a hard time uh, accepting um, uh, and so again another growth opportunity to grow up and to be wiser and more accepting and to uh, uh, and to accept uh, imperfections. I, I think this is the other part of the challenge for both partners as a team uh, that is moving towards uh, greater complexity and greater compassion.
0: Now, Stan, I know a lot of couples come to you when they're in crisis. Are we going to be able to save this relationship or not? And. Right. Here, now you've written a new book for people who are considering taking on the burden of each other. And whether a couple is just beginning or whether a couple's been together for a while and they come to you in crisis, I'm wondering if there are some telltale signs in your experience This couple can make it. They have what it takes. If they invest a little bit more, it's going to work. Or some telltale signs you can see right in the beginning when you meet with them. "Uh Uh-oh, I think uh, this is destined to go towards death,
1: this relationship. Yeah. Now, are we talking about uh, people who are just starting off or people who have been together for a while? I'm curious about both. Well, people who have been together for a while, uh, you know, it's very uh, easy uh, once you understand development, once you understand uh, how couples operate and move through time and, and the individuals in the couple uh, moves, uh, move through time, uh, it's very easy to see how they got where they are. Um, <clears throat> I often think if I were there in the beginning, I I might have helped more because I, I could have helped them predict what they would be fighting about for the next 20, 30 years. And then uh, build in uh, uh, some uh, tools for them in understanding, for them to be able to predict each other and work with each other uh, in a way that wouldn't have ended up in this in this mess. But uh, and that's actually the reason for we do is uh, uh, is I uh, you know uh, uh, seeing what people do um, not because they. Are trying to mess things up purposely, but like everyone else, they're doing it automatically. They're doing it, uh, you know, uh, according to what they know and what they've experienced, right? But, uh, but the the idea of being able to pre- to prevent this from the get go, um, and to help couples uh, from the start um, learn how to be secure functioning and learn how to avoid threat or the accruing of threat. So, by the time I see people, one of the big problems. Uh, that will get them is the uh, the constant misunderstandings the constant errors that they're making uh, on a on a micro level which we can see when we uh, when we do micro analysis of digital video we can watch couples uh, in action in terms of their movements and we can see their errors the mistakes they're, uh, literally if the brain is making in uh in uh their appraisal system um these accrue and because many couples don't repair well or at all um they become um a biological issue uh and john gottman wrote about this very early where these couples will eventually just be in a room together and their heart rates will go up uh, you know at least 15 beats uh, because they become more predatory to each other um this is because they're they're constantly repeating the same errors uh, again, on this micro level, uh, think of it as the you know it starts off as sand in the shoe, then it becomes pebbles, then it becomes rocks then it becomes a boulder. Um, the repetition, repetition, repetition of all these these constant interactions that are misattuned uh, and unrepaired, then they come in as a mess uh, if they are uh, if they are really uh gone if they've gone too far and they can't even go for a few moments without being threatened and and feeling attacked and attacking back then we have a system that is almost uh impossible to intervene without medicines um uh, because they're uh, they're constantly um in in this uh fight or flight uh state uh and uh that's very sad okay so that's one uh, the other uh, uh, thing that I'll see is uh, constant mismanagement. Men of thirds, and they're, uh, they've betrayed each other so much that their safety and security system is is dead in the water. Um, they've both, uh, either one of them or both of them, have done so much damage to the to uh, uh, the trust in the relationship, which is all they really have. They they didn't understand that, that it's almost impossible for them to proceed because um, uh, they're they're living on very little oxygen. Um, The other is uh, um, people, like I said, who have uh, set a course where they are living too much parallel. Um, They're not uh, doing things together very much, and they drift. That's a very uh, predictable pattern. They'll drift. And one person will... Uh, outgrow so to speak the other people don't outgrow each other when they're together Uh, they outgrow each other or they go off into different uh, places when they've been leading parallel lives. and uh, one person goes into therapy one person gets into a certain practice whatever and then they just start to grow apart that's another scenario Um, and and, um, so there there are all these different scenarios some seem more uh, some seem more bleak than the others I think the, the one that is the most difficult uh, um, uh, is the, the, the highly kindled couple that uh, uh, as soon as one opens the, the mouth, they're both off and running. They go from zero to 100, and they cannot for the life of themselves see clearly. They can't wait. They can't hold because everything the other person is going to say or do in the next second is, is dangerous, and um, these, these uh, couples are in a dangerous situation. Um, where they could hurt each other. And like I said, the only thing that could possibly, you know, slow them down uh, would be, uh, you know, to do certain kinds of... uh, Uh, meditation in the room with them to get uh, something called parasympathetic tone in place so that they could uh, it could slow down their acceleration or put them on medication but unfortunately these couples don't do these practices when they're out of the office so they don't really they're interesting for research but they're not really practical as interventions and uh, and many of them just won't take medications Uh, they'll do drugs and sometimes that works Ah, uh, believe it or not, there are some couples because uh, pot is legal in so many states. There are some couples that have found that if one if one partner and believe me, I'm not trying to to uh, sell this to the audience, but um, but one person smokes a little pot and that and now they're both fine. Um, th- this is a a, a, a sort of a phenomenological thing here, um, where one person's state changes, slows down, mellows, and so on, and that changes the system. But uh, that is what I'll see and. Uh, you know, uh, and then of course there is the major betrayal issue in one direction. And this is, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm looking for an ac- and an acronym for this, the reveal of information that if previously known would have changed everything. When that happens, it creates a, a tsunami effect and a PTSD, uh, like, uh, um, syndrome in the victim, um. Uh, many couples, unless they are guided through this, uh, may not recover from it. Um, that reveal of information could be, you know, oh, by the way, I'm gay, um, or I have another family that I support, or um, I've squirreled away money in an account and I've been embezzling from the family, or I've had uh, lovers, um, you know, on and off since we were married. You know, anything, you know, I'm, I'm really a dog, uh, not a duck. Um, anything that is so earth-shattering that the other person's brain has to resort their entire experience with this person, which takes about a year, Um, it is so disruptive and it's so um, uh, painful. Um, Many uh, partners won't recover from that unless they're with a very skilled therapist that can guide them through the process. Uh, So that's uh, definitely one that can tank things.
0: Stan, there's so much I want to talk to you about. I want to see if I can squeeze in just a few more questions here. You mentioned that your new book, We Do, was designed for prevention, to help couples in the very beginning learn the skills so that they don't get into any of the types of outgrowth patterns that you've just described of people coming into your office 20, 30 years later. And one of the things you recommend is for people to read the book, new couples who are thinking of getting married, to read the book together. And I'm curious, let's say someone buys the book, they're reading it, and they think, I don't think my partner is going to want to go through. I mean, this book, there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of self-revelation that's required, discussion about you know, what our values are as a couple, the commitments we're making. What if the other person says, you know, I don't know, that's, a, I'm not
1: into that. Well, I think that then, uh, uh, there has to be a, sort of a come to Jesus or a sit down because th- this is again, part of human nature, you know, uh, to, to, uh, believe we know already how to do this thing. Um, you know, we know how to do step parenting. We know how to do marriage. Uh, you know, we, but we don't. And, um, uh, and if you're with somebody who is is not interested. And fair enough, you don't want to read a book. But there are other things you can do. Uh, you can listen to a book. Uh, you can have one partner read it. You could change often uh, chapters. Um, you could have one partner teach the other. Um, you could do the exercises in the book. But to to uh, to turn a blind eye to information, uh, you know, rather than reinvent the wheel, to information that could save you, uh, you know, a lot of service, a lot of uh, grief and trouble down the road, and a lot of uh, money uh, is is hubris, right? It's 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 uh, it's part of what we all do, and so the hope is that people will uh, take it seriously, um, and uh, and look forward, in other words, look ahead uh, to uh, you know, to not what is just today and how I feel today or next week, but what I could be feeling, what could be happening. Uh, a year, uh, five years, ten years down the line, then, uh, then you know, good for that, those people, right? Um, they're going to save themselves a lot of trouble. So there are always going to be people who are just not interested in learning about the new baby, learning about, uh, you know, uh, anything, um, because they think they already know it. Um, to those people, I say good luck, uh, and I hope it works out. But mm-hmm. uh, at least this is is there. Uh, my hope is that people uh, will not show up in my office twenty ten, twenty years ago. I know there'll always be people who will, but this is really to uh, to uh, prevent that. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and you know uh, people in in uh, that are religious and they, you know, uh, they have to take certain exams, let's say, um, by the church, the clergy, um, you know, they take certain exams for marriage, right? Uh, Usually their temperament orders or their, their, their inventories about interests and so on. They're not very powerful. um, uh, And they're not very telling. But what if you could really look at uh, the future and say, are we really fit for each other? Do we really agree? on what this relationship should be? Do we have a shared vision? Do we have principles, shared principles in place that will protect us from each other uh, and everyone else? Um, what would that be worth to you in order to have a more uh, robust, and as I said, you know, um, easy relationship because these relationships should be easy compared to everything else? Then read this book um, mm-hmm. or I'll be seeing you.
0: Okay, Stan, now I want to squeeze in this question that has come up for me a couple of times when I've shared your work with other people. So two people who I know very well said, you know, I really like Stan's work, but on this one point, I'm just not quite sure. So I want to make sure to ask you this. When you're talking about being a survival unit together and making sure that we increase and protect each other's sense of safety and security – There's a quote from your book that we depend on each other for nervous system regulation. And the reason that these two people I know don't like this, they're like, look, it's not my job to soothe my partner all the time. My partner can be unregulated, dysregulated a lot. They need to learn to self-soothe. They're adults. It's not my job to always go and soothe my partner. When they're upset all the time? Really? Is this a misunderstanding or are the people who are reading your, your work not taking on the survival unit model in the right way?
1: I think it, it, uh, it can be both. Um, so many of the ideas here uh, can be taken uh, too literally. Uh, and not uh, in, in the way it's intended, the spirit of something, the spirit of something. So if you are with a partner and you're constantly having to regulate them, you're constantly having to soothe them, constantly have to calm them down, then that's not secure functioning um, because uh, this is supposed to be quid pro quo uh you know yes you're difficult but i am difficult you have to do things for me as i have to do for for you and we never ever want to cross into the zone of being too difficult and what that means is that we accept that we're difficult, we do stupid things, we make mistakes for which we apologize and make amends, but we, we don't want to be in the position of being greedy and, uh, and uh, putting too much of a burden on the other part partner, which actually uh, burdens the, the entire system, because that's so, that is self-harming. If I overburden you, if I am not taking care of you as well, if I'm constantly on fire and I'm constantly ringing the bell, um, then I am going to wear you out. I am going to uh, hurt my own sense of safety and security because I am uh, uh, I'm abusing this uh, this idea of secure functioning uh, by making it too unfair. So that is, uh, you know, th- that is the answer to somebody who is uh, hogging all the, uh, uh, the uh, oxygen and is requiring uh, uh, so much and is willing to do so little uh, that the relationship is in gross imbalance. Mm-hmm. Having said that, what is meant by nervous system regulation uh, has to do with uh, uh, the relationship face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and sometimes skin-to-skin. When we are dealing with each other and we are uh, regulating both our own states and the collective state of the couple, uh, this is a phenomenological system that uh, we understand to some degree It involves resonance and it involves a process that, uh, that uh, either works really well or doesn't. Uh, when it works really well, uh, we're both... Uh, managing each other's nervous systems by keeping our eyes on the other person's face, by keeping um, aware of the other person, and they're aware of us. We're interactively or co-regulating or mutually regulating each other, which is what we see successful mother infants do, and we see successful partners do. We're making errors. We're making mistakes all the time, but in this co-regulatory Um, environment, we're correcting them very quickly. And so we're able to uh, shift each other's state. We're able to move each other up, move each other down, excite each other, calm each other, um, uh, right? all of these things because uh, we're a team um, on this nervous system level. This is very important because this is what allows us to to, uh, remain um, energetic, vital, and relaxed. Um, it is much more efficient for us to co-regulate than to to simply self-regulate. That isn't to say that if you cannot self-regulate that you can be in a relationship because if you cannot self-regulate at all, um, you're likely going to be alone or you'll be in an an institution or in jail. So we're we're talking about a two-person system here that is uh, now uh, uh, strictly neurobiological of two nervous systems being able to get along and be able to manage uh, in real time states Mm -hmm. that's all that means it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean i'm taking care of you you're taking care of me it means that um, we're a good team and we're able to uh, take the stress off the table uh, uh, quickly we're able to co-create exciting love we're able to co-create quiet love um, and this is again, this is um, a phenomenological. We don't really understand why two people can do this well and other two people can't. Um, uh, I've seen people who are really good at self-regulation, but together they just are terrible. I've seen people who uh, where one person's really bad at self-regulation, but together they're really good because the other person uh, is the master regulator of the team. So um, that's what I'm really speaking about here, mm-hmm. uh, not. Codependency, not where you're going to take care of somebody um, and they're not stepping up to be an equal partner. Mm-hmm. In secure functioning, both people step up, both people do their jobs. Um, trauma is not an excuse. Um, uh, you know, uh, bad history is, is no excuse for bad behavior. You have a job to do, uh, it's a serious matter. And if you can't do it, won't do it, you should be fired. Now, Stan,
0: secure functioning, is that a term that you have introduced into our vocabulary,
1: secure functioning
0: relationships?
1: Um, I I think I'm maximizing it as much as possible. Secure functioning has been used. um, It's not in any literature that I can find, but I know Dan Siegel has used the term and uh, others. Um, The way I'm using it is apart from attachment. Um, uh, here I'm using it uh, as uh, uh, in a, a kind of social contract theory of two people uh, engaged in uh, in an agreement or a series of agreements to uh, to protect each other's interests. To uh, like I said, be in the foxhole together. So secure functioning is strictly an adherence to a system that is uh, that is dedicated to being fair, just, sensitive, collaborative, and cooperative. And in that sense, anybody. Uh, who's willing and wanting to do it, uh, can do it, regardless of their uh, personality.
0: Okay, here's my final question. I've heard from some people that they believe that it's powerful couples— I think in your language, secure functioning couples that actually will have the most hope for us as a species in helping us solve some of the problems that we currently face as a collective, that we need couples to be able to join with other couples, that they're this force of evolution, positive evolution in the world. And I wonder how you see that.
1: Well, it's, that's a very grandiose idea, and um, like all, most grandiose ideas, they just remain um, <laughs> n- nice ideas. Um, we, we Stan, have to under, you're so under,
0: sober. I love that about you.
1: <laughs> you're like the <laughs> reality to, sandwich teacher. <laughs> we have to understand, again, our nature as, uh, as human primates. Um, there's only so much we can do to push up against it. Um, in our little areas and our little circles we can join with others who are like-minded and influence the larger circles and so on but we cannot control the the, the huge system that we're a part of uh, globally of uh, people from varying backgrounds and varying I- ideologies and and more importantly varying um, levels of development and um, uh, that that is the the, the major uh, issue um, uh, that I, I don't know how that can ever be uh, solved uh, unless in some utopia uh, uh, where everybody has has equal education uh, abundance uh, you know uh, you know it, 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 they they have the resources available to develop and so on but that's I don't think that's just going to happen I, I think the best we can hope 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 for is um, is that. Um, is that w- we do what we can uh, as individuals and uh, and as couples to influence uh, each other and t- our children, uh, the next generation, and our community uh, as best we can uh, and then hope for the best. But um, is it better than uh, the alternative? Yeah, it's better than the alternative, which is the breakdown of, of civilization, and we go back to war. Uh, we go back to, you know, uh, well, we see it right now. Um, it's uh, what we're all afraid of, uh, you know, the divisiveness, the tribalization of 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 the country, uh, the the loss of 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 a unifying mythology. Um, you know, we see that happening and uh in a sense this is what i see on the micro level that's the macro level uh you know in my office between partners um you know uh this uh, disillusion of uh of a vision um, where two people are uh, are working together towards something and then uh you know and then the breakdown of that right so um i i think it is a worthy thing uh for for one's own life to, uh, to imagine something that actually can, can work uh, and uh, be uh, toward something good, and, you know, not only for self-development, but, uh, but uh, to contribute to one's uh, small circle of influence and hope that it uh, spreads <laughs> as best as possible. We try to spread it everywhere we go, and everywhere we go, people are excited about it, even in tribal areas in other countries, whether they can do it or not is a whole other matter.
0: Stan Tatkin, I vow to take you on as a burdensome author here at Sounds True. And I hope you'll take me on as a burden-filled publisher. What do you say? We do. do.
1: I do. I love and adore you, Tammy.
0: Thank you so much for the conversation. I've been speaking with Stan Tatkin. He's the author of a new book with Sounds True called We Do, Saying Yes to a Relationship of Depth, True Connection and Enduring Love. He's also created with us two audio learning programs, Your Brain on Love, which has been an underground bestseller here at Sounds True. A lot of pass around after people listen to it. The subtitle is The Neurobiology of Healthy Relationships, as well as an audio program called Relationship Rx, Insights and Practices to Overcome Chronic Fighting and Return to Love. Stan, thank you so much for the conversation and for all your great work. Thank you, Tammy. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world.